This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharif Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Professor Simon Honigman is the founding director of the Perinatal Mental Health Project, which provides mental wellness for pregnant and postnatal pregnant women and their children. She's also this month's Mensch Thought Leader. Jodie Rams is the Mensch Program Manager, and she will introduce us. Hi, Jodie. Hi, Cherise. Hi, Simon. How are you all? Well, thanks, thanks again for inviting us to the session today, and hello to be your listeners. Um, just by way of reminder, I always love to get this in. Uh, Mensch is a Jewish social justice organization and NGO, and our role is to support Jewish people and our Jewish community to enhance our role in transformation in South Africa. And within this context, we facilitate and manage a network of social change makers, of which we're so thrilled that Simon is one of them. And one of our roles is to promote and to highlight not just the work that she does, which you'll talk about, but also what makes her do this work via our Thought Leader series. Just to add, and I always forget that it's actually her actual um, article is hosted on our website, www.mensch.org.za, where you, you can read it. So I'm looking forward to hearing uh, what Simon has to say today, and over to you. Professor, your article on the Mensch website talks about how you got involved and learnt about perinatal depression. Do you want to share that story? Yeah, it was a long time ago. I mean, it was 2002. This is when um, the project started, actually. So I was uh, a medical doctor working in obstetrics. I'd always worked as a sort of non-specialist clinically. In, I'd worked in um, pediatrics, in HIV medicine. Um, I worked in obs and gynae. Um, I'd even done a bit of um, psychiatry work as a medical officer, and had also worked. Um, had also worked. I'm running a cervical cancer screening project in Kailicha. So I'd always worked um, in a range of fields related to maternal mental health, but never actually in maternal mental health. And a friend of mine persuaded me to go to a conference that I never would have considered going to. I hadn't really joined the dots about women's health really being hinged so directly on on mental wellness. So this was an international conference that was actually hosted in Cape Town and it was a weekend conference and I decided to go. It was run by a fabulous organization which is now no longer in existence, PNDSA, but they managed to attract phenomenal people in the field from all over the world who presented not only on depression, but on the other common mental disorder, which is anxiety, and how this affects women during pregnancy and those and that year postpartum after the birth of the baby. And it just struck me. I mean, suddenly there was this coalescence of things that came to mind. This is what women in South Africa are facing. And true, and true to that was this extraordinary presentation by local researchers who'd done work in Kailicha and who showed that one in three women had postnatal depression. One in three. And if you think about it, there are very few disease entities or health problems that have that prevalence, one in three, 34.7% or something like that. And because I'd always worked in the public health sector, I realized that this was nobody's baby. The obstetric people weren't doing anything about it. The mental health people weren't doing anything about it. And the kind of general primary care public health, nobody was taking on this enormous burden of suffering and disease. And there's so much that 
one can do about it. This is These are conditions that are manageable and treatable and, in fact, don't require massive systems changes. So a group of us at this conference got together and said, let's do something. We can't not do anything. It's not okay. One can't just let this go by. We were a fabulous multidisciplinary group. We had social workers and psychologists and midwives. There weren't so many of us. There were, I mean, it sounds like a lot. There were about six or seven of us. Many of us um, decided to pilot a little study at Mowbray Maternity Hospital in their low-risk obstetric unit. And from there, this project has just morphed and grown Now it's 20 years. So in September, we will be 20 years old. And aside from working on the best iterations of different service delivery models, we we conduct research. We do advocacy work with the public. We write policy and guidelines. We have a whole training program using multimedia. And we we conduct research that informs policy, which informs practice. So we, we travel that cycle of problem on the ground, what are the questions, what research do we need to do, and then how can we translate that research into something that's going to then impact women at the end. What an incredible story. I mean, that is so uplifting. And as you say, it's not um, big intervention. It's a small intervention, but it wasn't easy. 20 years, when you look back on the 20 years, Professor, what were the challenges and how have you overcome them? So right in the beginning, there was a strong pushback against anything to do with mental health. I mean, from all corners. So it was seen as not really a problem that affects poor Black women. It was seen as a low priority. It was seen as a luxury item when there's so many competing health priorities. And very few people appreciated the relationship between mental health and physical health and between mental health and poverty and how these these problems actually exist in a vicious cycle. So people who are living where there's violence, where there's hunger, where there's poverty, where there's chaos in communities are much more likely to experience mental health issues. And then the reverse part of the vicious cycle occurs. So if experiencing low self-esteem, low energy, low mood, difficulties with planning and drawing on your resources, you're much more likely to be stuck in poverty. You're less likely to do well at school, do well in, in the kind of employment sector, you're more likely, in fact, to become a victim of violence. If you have mental health issues, you're more likely to become HIV positive if you have mental health issues. So there's this vicious cycle. And if one can disrupt on the mental health side, if one can work with people's sense of agency, and especially women, because this is a high risk time in the pregnancy period, we know that it's the prevalence, the rates of depression and anxiety are much higher during this time of pregnancy and postpartum than at other times. And if we can work with that population where there's this unique opportunity, they're coming to the clinics anyway, they're coming to the services, to maternity care services. In South Africa, 95% of women will use maternity care services. That's an extraordinary success story in our health system. Once they're coming to us anyway, why not integrate mental health care into the routine, everyday, mundane practice of providing maternity care? It can be done. You show it can be done. It has been done. Professor, you work at the university and the University of Cape Town. You're based in public health. To what extent is government also very encouraging and supportive of your initiatives? So, I mean, yes, getting back to your earlier question. So initially, we were sort of seen as the kind of mad ladies in the room, you know, get out. How can we possibly consider mental health when women are dying from postpartum hemorrhage, when there are the severe mental health conditions and that aren't being, you know, aren't adequately being addressed. Common mental disorders are too less important. 
but we've built relationships. We've 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 done the work in terms of persuading and bringing people more and more people on board from the public to health officials, to people in the Department of Social Development we've worked with. We've partnered with them. We've worked together with them on projects. And there's really been a dawning appreciation of the fact that this actually does affect everything. It affects whether women will take antiretroviral therapy for, for, for HIV prevention. It affects whether they'll use the services. It affects whether, you know, how they optimize their parenting. Uh, breastfeeding is affected. So we've worked and there's been also a global movement on maternal mental health. So I think together there's been a shift to seeing that this underpins a lot of the success of any development or health intervention people are wanting to do. The mental health of mothers, there's no health. There's no development without mental health. I think that's a message that's percolated through into the psyche of many people who are making decisions now. And so right now we're working at national level, writing the new maternity care guidelines and making sure that mental health is in there across every single chapter of the guidelines. And respectful maternity care is in there across every single chapter. We've been very fortunate and privileged to, to see a trajectory of success here. Mental health is increasingly becoming um, understood as a major problem across the field. So it's th- probably thanks to pioneers such as yourself. Professor Honeckman, you speak about the, the cycle of poverty mm-hmm. and you speak about being able to possibly break one chink of it. And the impact of that breaking of the chink on the toddler, the child that's growing up, in a way, talks to our future society, our future generations. How hard is it to break that cycle of poverty? Well, I think it's not hard if lots of people get in the room. And by that, I mean, there's no magic bullet. One has to bring together people from different sectors. So if one is wanting to impact early childhood development, and that starts in utero, in fact, it starts when the woman is pregnant. It's about nutrition. It's about social support. It's about physical health care. It's about mental health care. It's about gender issues. It's about addressing violence. It's not hard if people are willing to work collaboratively and not work in silos. So what we have learned over the years is that one plus one is greater than two. And by that, I mean, if you're providing a mental health intervention, but you're also providing an intervention that's going to address food insecurity. And whether that's access to a soup kitchen or growing vegetables or, importantly, a maternal support grant, a grant that gives cash to women in their hands, that makes women have more agency. They spend it on food. They're more likely. They are less dependent on abusive partners. They have a sense of self-esteem. They'll draw on friendships and networks. They have greater ability to plan income-generating opportunities. They're freed up from the burden, the disabling burden of anxiety and depression to parent, to connect with their infants, to play with their infants, to get joy from their child, to plan for their children's well-being. So these have these kind of cumulative knock-on effects when when you're able to bring things together. And you asked me how easy it is. I think there's a common misconception that one needs specialist care. One needs psychiatrists, one needs psychologists. On the whole, we certainly need those people. And they're, but there are very few of them in South Africa, and they're even fewer in the public sector. I mean, there's a handful. But if we don't have so many of them, what can we do? There's a lot of evidence now. There's really elegant, robust evidence from several research trials, and this is really excites me, that that um, non-specialist health workers, even lay workers, and sometimes even peers, 
if they are properly trained and supervised, just providing an empathic, compassionate, supportive relationship, linking women into networks of care and support, knowing when to refer women who are more, who have greater um, risk factors or who are severe, those things can make a substantial difference um, in terms of mental health outcomes and in some cases in terms of child development outcomes. Uh, it's absolutely incredible. 20 years down the line, I look forward to seeing where you will be. Um, having started this from nothing, which shows you that, the, what, what did you say, the crazy women in the room get together yeah. and what they can actually achieve. So, um, Professor Honigman, I really enjoyed talking to you. I wish you a lot of luck. And thank you, Jody, for introducing us to Professor Honigman. If anybody would like to get in touch with either yourself or Mensch Network, what should they do? Yeah, we'd love to have conversations. If you go onto our website, which is www.pmh hp.za.org. I'll just say that again. So it's www.pmhp, that's perinatal mental health project.za.org. And there is a contact, um, there's a contact button there where you can email us at info at pmhp.za.org and we'll connect back with you and continue the conversation. Thank you very much, Jody. Yeah, thanks so much. Always wonderful to, to hear it again from you, Simon. It just lands so beautifully and we appreciate the work you're doing. Simon's Thought Leader article will be in the Chronicle, the Cape Jewish Chronicle in Cape Town, and also on our website, www.mensch.org.za forward slash thought leader. Thanks so much, Therese and Jody. I really appreciate the opportunity. That was Professor Simon Honigman, founding director of the Perinatal Mental Health Project.